My name is Benjamin, if you don't know me, one of the elders here at the mission. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. This is our topic. <clears throat> going to be mainly in uh, two... You know what? Should I be on the stage? Is that better for sound? So does, am I okay? Okay. Um, going to be looking at two passages mainly tonight. One is Psalm 97. No, sorry. Psalm 19. And the other one is, uh, any guesses? 2 Timothy 3. You got it. So if you want to put a finger in both of those chapters, that might be helpful. Um, we're going to start, start in Psalm 19. <clears throat> but before that, I want to read to you a section from the uh, 1689 Second London Baptist Confession. Um, section 1.6. And this is a good working definition for su sufficiency of Scripture, I think. At least a start, a beginning point says this, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life <clears throat> is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men." So, basically saying, this book that we have, that is called our Bible, is all that we need. Everything we need for God's glory, for our salvation, for faith, and for life is written in this book. <clears throat> Sorry, that doesn't help to cover that mic at all. Uh, this is the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture. Sufficiency... Most of you know, just means, what, enough, right? Tonight, before I came here, my wife made me a sufficient dinner. I ate enough. Probably a little more than enough. But that's sufficient, right? So we, we're talking about how the Bible is sufficient. It's enough. Um, what is it enough for? Is it enough for everything? If you're studying for a science test, I don't recommend you read your Bible for that. Right, because it's not it's not sufficient for that. It, it may not be sufficient for everything you want it to be. In fact, but for the things that the Bible says it's sufficient for, it is sufficient for. Again, God's glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. And we're going to add to that uh, maybe a couple of other descriptors as we get to Second Timothy. <clears throat> so, Psalm 19 is. Uh, one of the 150 best psalms in the Bible. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, psalm 19 talks about uh, God's revelation to us, and uh, it talks about both categories of what we call natural revelation and special revelation. So the chapter begins talking about uh, the natural revelation, the heavens declare the glory of God, I think is how it starts, yep. Um, <clears throat> and it talks about that natural revelation, how God has uh, revealed 
himself to us through nature. And then starting in verse 7, it goes to a special revelation, and that is God's revelation to us through his word, the scriptures. And that's where we're going to focus on today. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but let's start in in verse 7 and read from there to the end to begin with. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping with them, keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the psalmist here, David, uh, is talking about God's revelation And in verses 7, 8, and 9, he kind of drops this uh, little, I'm sure there's a word for it, it's beautiful poetry. Um, I think maybe it's some Hebrew parallelism in there where he's repeating um, the same thing in different ways over and over using descriptors. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm not a Hebrew expert by any means. Um, But it's this beautiful little poem, verses 7, 8, and 9. And if you look at it, um, there's six little lines of repetition in there. Uh, the, the scripture, the Bible, the word of God is referred to in six different ways in these three verses. It's called the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, and the rules. Six ways of talking about the scripture. And then it There's a pattern here. I love patterns. That's why I'm pulling this out. Patterns are awesome. Um, The giver of Scripture is referred to six times. Lord, 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 Lord. Or in the Hebrew, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Over and over. When you see that, you know, capital L-O-R-D, that's the name of God, Yahweh. So the giver of all the Scriptures, Yahweh. Then there are six described attributes of the word of Yahweh. It is perfect sure, right, pure, clean, and true. And then there are six qualities produced by the word of God. It is reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever, and righteous altogether. Um, I think you can see that we could spend like a few hours on those three verses, just mining the gold nuggets out of there. We're going to focus in on the ones that um, appeal to the sufficiency of Scripture specifically, because that's our topic tonight. And by the way, the, the sufficiency of Scripture is one in a uh, generally a list of four or five different 
um, specific topics about Scripture that we generally study, like in a systematic theology or something like that. We would study the authority of Scripture, uh, the necessity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and maybe I'm missing one, I don't remember. <clears throat> but uh, different attributes of Scripture that we talk about when we uh, want to study about God's Word. <clears throat> so, sorry, I have a scratchy throat tonight. <clears throat> it was extra dry at work today, apparently. Um, so, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does this word perfect mean? A lot of times we think of perfect in our day and age and language, and we think that it's without error. I actually have water right here. I just don't drink it. Thank you, Bradley. I'm just... Ah, that's better. <clears throat> we think perfect um, mainly describes something's uh, quality of being without imperfection or without error. We might say this is talking about the um, inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, but this is actually, uh, when you look at the Hebrew word, it talks about the <clears throat> perfect is complete or whole. It's entire and it's sound. So, so when the psalmist here says the law of the Lord is perfect, he's saying it's complete. It's, it's full. It's, it's everything that I need. <clears throat> Which might sound a little strange if you have your thinking caps on right now. You're thinking, this is like halfway through the book right? This, this, it's not complete yet, but it was. Everything David needed for salvation and for his life in godliness and training in righteousness and all those things, he had in the scripture. And you could go all the way back to Adam. Adam had how much of what we have today? He had some spoken words from God, right? Everything Adam needed for salvation, for life and godliness, God had given him in his word. And so the, the scripture being complete uh, doesn't mean that God can't add to it. That's, the sufficiency of scripture means that everything we need at this point in redemptive history, we have in his word. Now, immediately that raises a bunch of questions to us like, you mean God can add to his word? Well, we have, we believe, and this is <clears throat> another, a little bit into another doctrine, but we believe the Bible is com totally complete and God is not adding more to it. Because for God to need to add more, he would have to do more in redemptive history. And everything in redemption has been done, has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about Jesus as the final revelation of God and the full revelation of God. And after his appearance, we need no more revelation. He has completed it altogether. So that's how the psalmist, halfway through the book anyway, can say, your word is perfect, and then God adds more. And we can still say, your word is perfect today and is complete um, this whole concept is echoed in 2 Timothy, 
If you have one finger there, let's turn over there quick. Wow, this is the most unstable. You must just do music off this thing. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3, I'm going to start in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly, firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So first I want you to notice in verse 15 that it is the sacred writings or the scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation. This means that everything that you and I need to know to be saved is in this book. That's really good news. I don't know if you realize that. That means we're not gonna get to heaven and stand before God on judgment day and hear him say, oh, did you climb Mount Kilimanjaro? Because forgot to put it in the word, but necessary for salvation. We're not gonna hear him say, you, you remember that one time I, you, you thought, maybe I should go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. That was me trying to tell you. Sorry it didn't really get through very strong and clear, but no, we're, we're not gonna hear that. Everything we need for salvation is in the Holy Scriptures. There's nothing else we need. We're not missing anything. We don't have to wonder if we have salvation. We can look in the book. Secondly, in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. That's what we do in small groups. Teaching, that's, that's the doctrine. In other words, all the doctrines we need for godliness and for our Christian faith are found in the Word of God. There are no doctrines missing. It means we don't need another book to teach us more doctrine that we don't have in the Bible. And that also means that even when we teach on Scripture, like I am doing tonight, we use Scripture. How, how would it sound if I stood up here and said, I believe the Bible is sufficient, it has all we need for the doctrine, for all doctrine, and then I taught on the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture without the Bible. It would be like, you obviously don't believe what you're trying to teach, right? So that's why we're using the, the Bible to teach about the Bible. Some people would call that circular reasoning, right? You're appealing to a book about a book. But as Christians, we say, yeah, fine with circular reasoning, because this is God's word and it's the highest authority. And every single highest authority has to appeal to itself, or it's not the highest authority. Right? If you appeal to another authority to say, hey, this guy's the highest authority, then the other thing is the highest authority. God's word is our highest authority as Christians, and so we can appeal to it even for the uh, teaching on Scripture itself. 
Um, scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Reproof and correction. That means that you cannot be corrected on something, spiritually speaking, that's not in the Bible. No one can tell you you're sinning if that sin is not in the Bible. You will never stand before God and hear him say, you should have, or why didn't you, or that was sin, if it's not in the Bible. This, this whole concept to me was mind-blowingly freeing. As, as many of you know, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church, um, but it, not just Pentecostalism today, the majority of Christianity in America today teaches that we need to be hearing from God outside of his word. That, that we should be somehow tuning into the God frequency and hearing his voice and obeying it. But, but that word obey means that there's the opposite. You could disobey, and that would be sin. Right? If you disobey God, that is sin. So if I'm supposed to be hearing from God, that means I could constantly be mishearing God and disobeying him. And for a lot of people, that creates a state of constant fear and a state of constant, am I right with God? Am I sinning against him now? I mean, think of it. True story for what it's worth. I go into a stop-and-go gas station. That's a gas station in Minnesota. Every morning before work, I get my uh, cappuccino in the machine. I don't know why I used to drink those. They're so gross. And a donut, and I go off to work. One morning I'm walking in, and the thought crosses my mind, you should stand on your head and yell, Jesus is Lord. Real thought in my mind. Was that God? If it was, I'm about to disobey him because I'm not crazy. And I didn't do it. I walked out. But the rest of the day, I'm struggling with this. Am I guilty? Have I sinned against him? Should I have, if, he, if I did that, would somebody have gotten saved somehow? What? And this is a constant struggle when we don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. That everything the Bible says is all that we need. There is no sin you can commit that isn't found in Scripture, whether explicitly or implicitly. I have to add that, okay? The Bible does not say, do not hit your brother over the head with a rock, okay? But obviously, we can gather that from do not murder, right? <clears throat> so, this is absolutely freeing for Christians. We cannot sin against God unknowingly if we're in his word and studying his word. And we know what his precepts and commands are. <coughs> Lastly, <clears throat> God's word is profitable for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, all the training you need to be righteous and to be holy is right here in God's word. Notice that it says, so the man of God may be complete. Remember that word back in, in uh, Psalm, perfect. 
right? Same concept here, that you and I may be perfect or complete, equipped for every good work. This means that there's no good work that God requires of you or I that's not in his word, that we aren't trained by his word to do. We won't stand before God and hear him say, why didn't you do this good thing? If we have it in the Bible, then we have it. If we don't, if it's not in here, hey, the Bible's sufficient. I'm not missing anything. There's nothing missing from the word. It's, again, really comforting for the Christian. Um, Back over to Psalm 19. Basically, I hope you've gathered so far that what I'm saying is the Bible is sufficient because the Bible says it's sufficient. Because God says his word is sufficient. And that's good enough for believers. Who it's not good enough is unbelievers. They don't believe what God says. That's why they're called unbelievers. So God says his word is perfect. Next part of verse 7, reviving the soul. That word reviving means turning back. It turns us back to God. It, it, it causes us to seek him. His word does. When we think we need a word from God outside of the Bible, it doesn't turn us to God. It always turns us away from him. Um, what else did I want to get to Um, next part the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple so here's the biggest objection I I generally get um, and question that I get after I teach on sufficiency of scripture is what about this whatever it is big decision I have to make And God's word doesn't say anything about it. Like, who am I supposed to marry? Generally, I reply with, how many options do you really have? Like, one? Go with that one. I I don't know. Uh, Or maybe a more uh, common one. I'm picking between two colleges. I want to do God's will, right? As Christians, I want to do what God wants for my life. How do I know which college to pick? How do I make these big life decisions? The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not go to BYU, or the, well, implicitly, maybe. Uh, Thou shalt not go to the U of U, right? It doesn't say these specific things to me. That's where a verse like this, verse 8 comes, or verse 7, end of verse 7 comes in. The testimony of the Lord, that's God's scripture, is sure, making wise the simple. When we don't know something, we're simple. Like we're without understanding, right? I don't know which school to go to. I'm, I'm without understanding. I'm simple. And the scripture makes wise the simple. That covers every category in life. Okay? When I'm in the word of God, when I'm reading his word, I am made wise and that wisdom enables me to make every decision that I need to make. 
That's why I can say confidently, this Bible is enough. We don't need to hear some other word from some other place, thus saith the Lord, you should do this or that. I don't, I don't need that. God's word is enough. It makes wise the simple. It gives us the wisdom we need to make good and godly decisions. And if you're still, you've read the word, you've studied it, you still, you just, uh, I, I just don't know. I just don't know what to do. Then we go over to Philippians chapter two, and we won't turn there. And it says this, uh, it is he who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, do what you want. Just, just do what you want. I, I like how Martin Luther put it. I think it was Martin Luther. Love God, do what you want. If you love God, then you're going to do his will. He's working within you to will, that is to desire, to do the right thing, to do what his will is, and to do it. And so we seek God. It's not wrong to pray. Ask God, give me wisdom. Show me how to make this decision. Help me. And we just do what we want. And trust that God is guiding our own will. It's a, it's a great way to live, I think, because I can trust in his holy word. What happens when we don't have this mindset, this sufficiency of scripture mindset? Maybe you've seen it around. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. I've seen a lot of it. Christians do weird things. They say, Lord, give me a sign, right? And then they see a bird fly by the window and land in a bush, and they're like, oh, bird, um, that's a dove, like, the Holy Spirit, and that must be the Holy Spirit telling me to vote for Bush, right? That's maybe a few years ago that would happen. But you know what I mean? I, this is like real for some Christians. This is how they live their lives and try to discern God's will. Can you imagine the kind of mess you get yourself into? And what's going on? They don't believe that this Bible is sufficient, and so instead of sticking their nose in the book, they're sticking it out in the air and just hoping something shows them something. The Bible actually calls that reading of omens, and it is strictly forbidden because it's, it's like witchcraft. You're trying to read signs out here that God hasn't necessarily sent to tell you anything. God has spoken to us. He has spoken to us in his word, and that's where we hear from him. So it makes wise the simple. <clears throat> the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When we read his word, it causes our heart to rejoice. It doesn't give us anxiety and fear, panic. And then the command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Enlighten That's what we're asking God for, right? Enlightened eyes. I want to see what to do. I want to know your will. The Bible says that's found in his word. You know the Bible never says that's found somewhere else? Only in God's word. <clears throat> I'm going to jump down to verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. It's obviously talking about the righteous man's desire for God's word. 
we should be desiring his word more than anything else, more than the wisdom of the world, more than Christian books, nothing wrong with Christian books to read, but it's the word of God, it's the Bible where the fine gold is, is found, where the real treasure is. Um, I want to jump down to verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How do we get to this place where the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart is acceptable to God? By meditating on his word. By being in his word. Because then our heart and our thoughts are on things of God, and our voice, our mouth, is acceptable to God by speaking in line and in accordance with his word. So, uh, a few applications that I want to leave you with regarding the sufficiency of Scripture. (coughs) Excuse me. Um... Some of these may be restated, but just thoughts to think about. Because God's word is sufficient, we don't need to search other writings or other sources of wisdom for God's will or for anything regarding salvation, life, holiness. These are all found in God's word. We don't need to find God's will in tradition and the traditions of men. Uh, the traditions of men are uh, not scripture. And so they do not have the power uh, to give us wisdom, to direct our paths, things like that. Um, tradition can be a powerful thing in churches. Um, my, I, I was, oh man, am I going to say that? I was born in Iowa. I'm sorry. Um, I was born in Iowa. It's true. It stands for I owe the world an apology, so I'm apologizing. Uh, When I was born, my parents lived in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, and they had to travel 50 miles to go to the nearest halfway decent church. So we drove 50 miles every Sunday to go to church. And that church, they decided, you know, it's the best church around, and we want to get involved. And so how do we get involved? Well, here, just become a member. Here's our membership covenant. Thud. This big stack. Not, probably not a big stack. I'm exaggerating. But there was a huge list of do's and don'ts. You shall not. They were like, thou shalt not dance. Thou shalt not drink alcohol. Thou shalt not smoke. Thou shalt not uh, go to movies. And the list went on and on and on. All, all traditions of men. Not super uncommon. The, the sad thing is, uh, and, and by the way, my parents were like, uh, yeah, no, we're not signing that. That's, those are not God's laws. Those are man's laws, and we're not required to obey those, even though my parents don't do any of those things. And they were right to say, no, we're, we're not signing that. Um, the, the crazy thing to think about, think about this. The Holy Spirit indwells us and enables us to obey God's word. 
If you're trying to obey man-made traditions, guess what the Holy Spirit's not doing? Helping you. He's not going to help you obey commands that aren't his commands. And so we set ourselves up for this, again, this road of, I'm a failure, uh, I'm not right with God, and we, we distance our relationship with God through imagined sins that aren't real sins when we start to follow man-made traditions. We don't need those. We have all we need in God's Word. And we don't need fences around God's rules like the, the Pharisees used to do. Uh, the idea is like, here's God's law. If you break that, man, you're in trouble. So we're going to put a fence back here to keep you even further away from it. And so man starts making stricter rules than God made to try and keep us holy. All of this is terribly wrong. We believe God's word is fully sufficient in all those things. Uh, we don't need to look for omens or, or signs from God because his word is sufficient. Um, there's no commandment outside of Scripture we must obey to be righteous. Um, I want to leave you with this. Psalm 119, verse 1. Uh, if you want to deep dive into doctrines of Scripture, study Psalm 119. It's like Psalm 19, but on steroids. Way more. I was going to read the whole thing tonight, but that would have taken 45 minutes by itself. Psalm 19.1 starts out this way. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Think about that. You're blessed if your way is blameless. How is your way blameless? You walk in the law of the Lord. In other words, the man or woman that God finds blameless is the one who's obedient to this. Not this and... Not something more than this, just, just the word, the law of the Lord. Sufficient, it's all we need. I hope that is comforting uh, and helpful. Um, I praise God for his word. Um, can I pray and then turn it over to you? Or is that, is that okay? Yeah. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity today for me to teach on your holy word. I, I love your word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us all that we need for life, for godliness, for salvation, for your glory, for doctrine, fully and completely in this Bible. Thank you that we can trust it. We can rely on it. It is our sure footing and foundation. Lord, Help these thoughts, these doctrines, these teachings sink into our minds so that we act like we believe it and walk in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.